The following podcast is a W2M Network original production. Visit W2Mnet.com for all of our other great podcasts, plus news, reviews, articles, and opinions from the worlds of wrestling, video games, football, and entertainment. Gay brawny man. Listen here, you old Smurf-looking motherfucker. <laughs> I, dude, I don't look like a Smurf. I might have blue balls, but I don't look like a Smurf. <laughs> that sounds like something to take up with Amber rather than us. Anyway, good evening, afternoon, whenever you're listening, and welcome to the kickoff here on the W2M Network, we think, for now, at least. Well, I guess we're safe in that regard. I don't know if Coach is going to be happy with us, though. <laughs> Silence. I'm your host. My name is Harry Broadhurst. Joining me, as per usual, the anchor man, Eric Watkins. Stay classy, W2M. Stay classy. Bisco, Brandon Bisco Bing. Uh, copyright infringement much? <laughs> no. It's, that's what we've always referred to you as. No, no, for Eric. Hey, what hey. do you want? What do you want us to call him? The token black guy? <laughs> Look, it is we can't you call him as a parody under the fair use agreement. Fair no, enough. Sure. <laughs> Whereas if we called him token, we would actually be violating what South Park did. Yeah. No, actually, <laughs> it's a play of words. T o k e n. T o k i n in his case because of. You ganja weed, you ganja weed, yes indeed, yeah, 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 yeah. There's, there's a Daisy Hayes reference for our wrestling fans that are listening. And the other voice that you heard is the unprofessional Jason Teasley. Yes, I'm here. I'm here and I'm going to keep us on track this evening. Wow, <laughs> shocker. <laughs> All right, real quick, before we... Real quick, before we get started, unfortunately, we have to open with a tribute once again, because 2020 is a real giant asshole. And this one doesn't affect Eric as much as it does the other three of us. As myself, I know I'm a longtime 411 Mania user. Uh, Bisco, I know you've used 411 Mania Mm -hmm. in the past as well. Jason, I'd imagine you have as well for your wrestling news and reviews and everything. Actually, it goes a little bit deeper than that, but... I'll let you. I'll tack on to the end of that. Oh, that is right. You did mention that in the uh, in in the group chat as well. So we'll go ahead and talk about that in a few seconds as well. Um, the wrestling world, the internet wrestling community in general, lost one of its pioneers recently. One of the guys that's been kind of a focal point of the IWC over the course of the last decade or so. If you are a fan of the four one four one one Mania website, you know the name Larry Zonka. Now, football fans will know that is the name of the fullback for the Miami Dolphins Super Bowl championship team in 72. However, this Larry Zonka was a 40-year-old guy who lived in Pittsburgh, er, who was from Pittsburgh, who lived in South Carolina with a wife and two daughters that ran the site, posted reviews, posted news, and pretty much kept up the day-to-day operations of maybe the second or third biggest wrestling website in the entire world. Unfortunately, Larry lost his life this past weekend, either late Sunday night or early Monday morning, depending on the timeline. I don't have the exact specifics. I'm not going to pry. It is not my concern. That being said, me personally, I just wanted to say thank you for 
all of the years of entertainment Larry provided me, for all of the years of reviews that he was able to give us to read, and to, for all the times that we were able to chat along with him in all the group chats there. You guys know I host a wrestling podcast on Monday nights with Tony, who is the raw writer over at 401. Tony was understandably disconsolate on Monday trying to pay tribute to his friend and no words that I could say would do better than what Tony wrote in the raw report or what Tony had to say on the reaction. So on behalf of myself and Tony, I suggest you guys go check out this week's episode of the reaction over on the chair shot radio network to uh, get the full aspect of what I had to say there. Um, Bisco, did you want to say anything about Larry real quick? Um, Cause I'll let, I'll let Jason clean up here since he has a, a deeper connection than either of the two of us. Yeah, not really all that much. Um, just I'll say a very uh, tough week for the wrestling world because not just him, but also uh, Shad Gaspard as well. Uh, we're going to talk about Shad as soon as we're done with Larry because I want to I want to specifically mention something with Shad there because I know it resonates specifically with Jason and we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, Jason, a tribute to Larry. Uh, yeah, um, I met Larry briefly back uh, when I started into this whole podcast game um and he had a young gentleman named uh jeremy lambert that was also part of the 411 mania crew that also was a huge uh football fan and when i started uh my fantasy football podcast and everything over on the radledge and broadcasting network many many moons ago uh, i needed a, i needed someone to uh hop on and you know be my be my second person and larry was quick to uh, reach out to me and uh, introduce me to Jeremy Lambert. And even though Lambert only lasted, I think, one or two episodes, uh, I still got that connection, and it did build a uh, sort of a base. And for that first year of me podcasting, uh, Larry would just, you know, occasionally just reach out, you know, with a bit of advice. He listened, reach out with a bit of advice, and, you know, it was always – and he would give me, like, pointers where – where I could transition and stuff and help me in that aspect. So uh, when I heard of the news of his passing, it kind of, it kind of struck a chord with me because um, without him, I wouldn't be in this podcast game today. And he gave, you know, the confidence to me that, you know, that you guys see before you on I mean, I mean, I don't, I'm not actually one of the most confident people surprisingly in real life, but anytime I think back or have doubts when I am doing a podcast with you guys, uh, I think back to some of those words of encouragement that Larry did give me. And, you know, I power through and I remember remember what what lessons he did teach me uh, in our brief interactions in that first year of me podcasting. The W2M Network in general has a tie-in with Larry as well because a lot of the W2M Network wrestling shows, specifically the ones that myself and Bisco were doing with show reviews, would end up posted as podcasts over on the 411 Mania website as well and would have a massive outreach over there. Uh, Eric, do you have any interaction at all with Larry? I know you're not huge into wrestling, so I know 411 wrestling is probably not your thing, but there are other aspects that he touched. I unfortunately have did not get the pleasure of interacting with them as sad as that is. All right. So to his wife, Christy, and to his daughters, Hannah and Alex, 
our thoughts are with you. We wish you guys nothing but the best. There is a GoFundMe available for his wife and his daughters. I would highly recommend that if anybody out there's life was touched by Larry, that you look it up and consider donating to the family in order to help them moving forward as obviously they've lost a husband and a father. And um, so, if anybody is curious about that, uh, when you guys do, do the, the recap, if you want to throw that link in the uh, as a part of the recap in there as well, uh, feel free to. I will do that. All right. The other thing that Brandon kind of mentioned is former Crime Time member Shad Gaspard. And we won't spend a ton of time on this because even though Shad had the body for football, he wasn't known as a athlete outside of wrestling. But he was known as a big video game guy here for the W2M Network as he was the body type for Kratos in God of War. Not a whole lot of people know mm-hmm. that in the new God of War remake I that they not, did. I Shad. Shad Gaspart was the man that they did the body type off of for Kratos and God of War. But um, the reason I said this would specifically resonate with Jason is, Jason, you are a father. Yes, uh, that uh, that is well known um, that I am a father. And this this will get me uh, a little may get me a little choked up as you're talking. So it it does hit it does it does hit hit a little bit closer than what I would like it to hit. I will just say this real quick here, and then if you guys, like I said, our thoughts out to Shad's wife and kid, is, uh, wife and son as well. The reason that I mentioned that this resonates close, most closely with Jason out of the three of us is this. Shad was Shad lost his life this past weekend when he was caught in a riptide out, in the, out on Venice Beach out in California. A series of lifeguards were out there trying to save Shad and his son and the reports are that the very last thing that Shad did before the water took him under was tell the lifeguards, focus on him, don't worry about me. He literally gave his wife his life for his kid. There is no greater thing that I could imagine doing. And I hope that one day, if the situation were to ever call for it, that I would have the unmitigated balls to be willing to do so myself. As Robert Taylor said in our wrestling chat, and I know we talk about Robert in kind of a negative connotation on this show on occasion, but as Robert Taylor said in our wrestling group chat there, always a man to put his son up on his shoulders. Rest in peace, hero. Yeah. Um, all right. All right. Now that the now that the seriousness is out of the way, what do you say we get to some frivolity around here and yep. we kind of lighten the mood as best we can? Let's do it. Hey, Anchorman. Yeah, don't count on me to lighten things up too much just yet. <laughs> as a um, couple of news stories over the past couple of weeks, it hit pretty close to home for a couple of us and our teams. We weren't able to get Bisco's take on this last week because of the sake of time, but this kind of lumps in as the hit parade of arrests continues. On top of the known situation with Quentin Dunbar and DeAndre Baker for their alleged robbery at gunpoint down near Miami after a gambling situation went wrong, We have two more players, also with gun charges and other incidents. Corey Latimer, wide receiver for the Redacteds, was arrested in Colorado on gun charges. And for Harry, your Buffalo Bills, Ed Oliver was circling the wagons a little bit too hard in Houston. 
DWI and other gun charges now up against him. So, um, yeah, uh, I'm sensing a prevailing theme here. Yes, and you know what that prevailing theme is, Eric? That apparently when you don't have actual training camps and OTAs to focus on when you're an NFL player, you're really, really fucking stupid. Well, not just that, but I think it's also the fact that, you know, they're they're bored out of their minds and they're doing stupid things as a result. I think it goes even further than that, though. I think it's a situation where a lot of these guys have gotten in with the wrong kinds of people, yeah. too. Oh, yeah. I mean, and, you know, not trying to, you know, I'm going to toe this line as lightly as possible, but, you know, a lot of the players that are in the NFL come from certain backgrounds where as kids, as teenagers, you know, even even with their football stuff trying to pull them away from it, they still have friends, they have, uh, you know, uh, they have, you know, childhood friends, people that they know who are involved with less than admirable things. And, what? Less than admirable qualities yes. about themselves. Yes. And now with them not being around their teammates and probably, you know, depending upon their situations, especially if you're, you know, a rookie that hasn't made the big bucks yet, you know, yes, you may not be living where you lived as a kid, but you probably still interact with those people. And it puts you in, in spotty situations. And, and as a result, you know, stuff like this happens. And not to mention, you know... Maybe not now quite as much, but in in these areas, I would still think there aren't nearly as many people out. So you're more likely to get targeted. True. In do you think do you think that that's a uh, do you think that that's a situation and that we can really get into here though? Is that a situation we want to get into? No. Do you think these players are targeted? Do you think that these players like? Don't get me wrong. If what allegedly happened yeah. with. Uh, Dun with Dunbar and Baker is true, mm-hmm. then they one hundred percent deserve the targeting that they received for what mm. they've done. Latimer got busted with a gun that that wasn't um that he didn't have a, a, a what you call it a license a, a permit license for, for? Yeah. permit that's it yeah a gun permit for then he deserved the trouble that he des- that he got. But do you think that it's a case of maybe of a certain background you're more inclined to? ignore the circumstances in the world around you rather than like these people have seen all kinds of stuff growing up where they've grown up Mm. i'm sure so Mm -hmm. to them a quarantine isn't that big of a deal they're probably not going to read as much into it as somebody that comes maybe more maybe more suburban areas yeah that may be it as well and they may also have certain influences that may be telling them oh, this isn't, you know, as big as everyone's making it out to be. You can still go and do your normal thing, and that's what's getting them in trouble here now. Eric, I saw you shaking your head vigorously while I was making the point there. Of a of an urban background such as yourself, being from mm-hmm. a major city, being, being 
um, we've made the joke many times there, being a black culture yourself. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's inherent that with like the people that they're rolling with, the street crews that they came up with, do you think that it's inherent that it ties over into some of these things slipping into their adult lives there? I hadn't heard anything about Ed Oliver getting in trouble ever since he was at the University of Houston. I think he got popped for he got popped for pot once there, but other than that, nothing to this degree for sure. Exactly, and that's really the big thing. That's why with even when you notice the incident and the alleged backgrounds leading up to the incidents, gambling debts, things going wrong, poker games, all of this and that, when allegedly with that Oliver, it was just, okay, an alleged open container, rifle between his legs, what have you. That really goes in because, especially in high school in my environment, those that were in the neighborhood or right next to mine, there were certain elements that were much more prevalent. And when you're around those more prevalent elements, criminal or otherwise, you your friendships you tend to involve some of those elements. And if you're around them long enough, yes, they can go ahead and they can linger into your adult life. And that pattern of decision-making could potentially and usually does stick with you. If you're not around it and you're not exposed to it, then you either would know better or it's like, hey, wait a minute, you would at least begin a different process of thinking. But if it's your status quo, no matter what's going on around you, then you're not going to look at it any differently as you did before. Jason, you've been pretty quiet throughout this conversation. I want to get your thoughts here. Um, Being of a somewhat rural background, being from West Virginia right here, do you think that it's possible that maybe people in that area can kind of get a similar influence as people that come from an urban culture there just because of the the click mentality around those kind of areas? Like that whole southern boy mentality almost. Man, you're saying let me out because I'm white, aren't you? (laughs) (laughs) It's because I'm white, isn't it? Uh, no, I mean, I'm going to make this I'm, and I'm going to be real serious for I mean, I'm going to be I want to answer this as serious as I can. Um, a culture is taught to individuals. Uh, you do not come um, you do not come out of the womb uh, having stuff ingrained into you. It is bred into you. Um, and like I said, I'll take this in a, uh, in a really serious tone. It's just like, you know, you see all this stuff, uh, on the news and everything. And, um, it's, you don't, you, your mannerisms and your thoughts are taught to you by those around you and influence you. If you have a, uh, homophobic, we'll say homophobic, uh, mentality, you don't have that from, as a child that is taught to you, that is bred into you from the culture that surrounds you. Uh, if you want to be a gangbanger, you, you are influenced by your environment. It's a, it's a, um, case of nature, not nurture. Uh, you are a product of your environment. So in a lot of aspects, uh, the people you interact with and the people and the things around you do influence you. So with that being said, you do get, that's where a lot of stereotypes come from. Uh, uh, stereotypes come from, you know, especially, you know, I'm sure you three like to brag on me and stuff. I mean, anybody listening can go on the Internet and look. I'm from West Virginia. You'll see a thousand things. 
and you had that preconceived notion, you would not assume that I was West Virginia. I get told that I'm from Texas, Tennessee, Texas, Louisiana, South Carolina, North Carolina, everywhere but West Virginia. And when I tell people that I'm from West Virginia, they're kind of taken aback because, one, a hell of a lot of people in the United States do not know that West Virginia is even a state. They ask me if I'm near Richmond or they have a preconceived notion. So uh, these players and stuff, they get into this vicious cycle at a young age and they get brought up into this environment. So, yes, I think it's a, a an act of nature, not nurture. See, I would actually argue that it's the other way. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think you mean product. the other way around. Because you're a product of the environment that you're in rather than the product of how you were raised. Mm-hmm. No, it's a, it's because I can, I can introduce you to people that were raised just like me and are some of the most bigotry, racist individuals you ever meet. Uh, because they grew up in the environment of that's how their kin was. I think that was. Hold on. Hold on. That's how their kin was. And that's how everyone in their neighborhood was because the neighborhood, no, that's their environment because outside of their home, inside the home, you're you're taught your morals and your values outside of your home. You you're taught how to interact with it within okay, your. I, I get what he's saying now. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. From yeah. that part, a more isolated. Yes. Because more of a microcosm. Because if, like, my daughter is one of the most pure heart individuals you ever meet. I've taught her that way, uh, and it brings me back to. I want to make a sports reference here. I'm sure all of us have seen, remember the Titans. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. At the, at, toward the end of the movie, Bashir's laying there, and the nurse says, only kinfolk are allowed in here. And Bashir looks up and says, can't you tell that's my brother? It's Can't you, can't you see the family resemblance? I believe yeah. is the exact line. Yeah, and it, it says it's my brother. Um, you know... You're, you're taught this thing, and that that's a great that's a great example of this conversation because uh, you you see the the social impact of everything that was taught to all those people. So you do see that. So that that's why I say it's a, a lot of your environment Im- impacts who you are mm-hmm. because I can show you people that are are complete pieces of shit but you look at their parents and are probably some of the nicest most humble people you ever meet which and i'll let eric speak on this here in a few seconds because i know eric had something he wanted to add real quick but uh i would argue that the old phrase that the apple doesn't bounce far from the tree is completely inaccurate in some instances because there are certain circumstances myself included Mm -hmm. if anybody's ever had any kind of conversation with me about my father that's a very touchy subject that we won't get into this isn't therapy with harry but if anybody's ever had there for you okay (laughs) like four years older than me shut up grandpa anyway um i was getting it in young it it 
mother. Anyways, uh, my point being is that sometimes the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, but other times the apple bounces miles away. Mm. Eric, you had something you wanted to add to what Jason said, and then we'll move on to the next story. Absolutely. To kind of make one thing to where Jason's point, it's like my high school physics teacher said, West Virginia exists to make the state of Virginia habitable. And of uh, focus on your point, you're absolutely right. I mean, I have a similar situation with my father and other parts of my extended family. And with everyone, I'm sure this is the case to where you're going to learn two basic sets of things as you grow up and into your more formidable years and on through adulthood. You're either going to see examples of what to do and how to be versus what not to do and how not to be based on not only what you see what you're taught but also what happens around you mm-hmm. are you signaling I mean, that you're I, I, I mean look at eric i mean we all love mama Watkins, and you know eric and she's probably one of the most humble people we've ever met and then you have eric who is very i mean and, and i'm joking of course but i mean personality wise you know, from the interactions we've had with Mama Watkins, she's very a humble person. Eric is not. Er- Eric is the complete polar opposite. You know, I'm sure that Mama Watkins taught Eric, you know, humility in certain aspects. Doesn't but, exercise it. But he doesn't exactly. He doesn't exercise it. <laughs> er- Eric's a very Eric. Eric's a very very. Um, okay. I don't want to say flamboyant because he's. <laughs> Because it's, it's not flamboyant. Yeah, I, he's a very out. Mama Watkins is an inter, introvert. Eric's mm-hmm. more of an extrovert, and that's uh, why, that's a that's that's a good a good thing too. Because your personality is shaped not only at home but as well as your environment. Mm-hmm. All right, on. Two, yeah. Two quick things before we move on here. One, there's another. Uh, there's another movie quote there that I feel f- is applicable here. Eric, it's hard to be humble when you're so good at everything. <laughs> Am I right? <laughs> and to Eric's joke about uh, West Virginia there, I have one of my own. So this is a real story, by the way. I'm doing commentary for a wrestling show around Thanksgiving, and we're killing time during intermission. And my broadcast colleague asks me what I'm thankful for. And without thinking about it, because I'm a heel color commentator down there, I'm doing like a heelish, I'm leaning gimmick with the commentary down there. He asked me what I'm thankful for, and I look at him and without thinking about it, I go, I'm thankful I'm not from fucking West Virginia. <laughs> And what he should say is, I'm thankful I still have a job currently. <laughs> uh, I lasted about four more months at that promotion, and then I was gone. Anyway. I'm talking about now since telling that joke on air. <laughs> <laughs> uh, real quick, to touch on the Buffalo circumstances of this as well, Ed Oliver, guns and alcohol don't mix. Don't be a dumbass. Come on. You're better than that. You're smarter than that. Be better. All right, let's move on, Anchorman. Tale two. As Hank Williams Jr. would say, are you ready for some football? Are you ready for some football? (laughs) I'm so glad that we got that back. The Monday Night Party could be returning sooner than we think. (laughs) Not only are NFL facilities slowly beginning to open up across the country, but the NCAA, in their wisdom, has said, 
especially for voluntary football activities. They have been cleared to resume June 1st. Now, granted, and we'll touch on this a bit later, Stephen F. Austin won't be a part of all of it, but I think that with everything going on in the recent news, this is a very encouraging sign that we'll at least get some form of a football schedule. Because, again, number one, a $4 billion loss without a college football season Mm -hmm. is bad. And with Ohio State coming out and saying they'll follow the Hard Rock Stadium model and saying we'll let in some fans around twenty to 25,000 with, if rules are relaxed, forty to 50,000 in the horseshoe, this is a very encouraging sign for the rest of the country. All right, so to touch on what Eric just said there, because this actually, that's exactly the point that I was going to bring up when you did the are, you, are we ready for some football thing with the whole... $4 billion. That is why the NCAA is mm-hmm. allowing football teams to start getting together and practice again. Absolutely. $4 billion. It is the grand poobah of the college football athletics fund. It is the be-all, end-all for college football athletics funds for every major university that has a football program. That is the reason the NCAA is clearing these universities for football activities, because they do not want to upset the cash cow that is the NCAA football division, both be it football bowl division, the FBS, or 1A as it used to be, and the football championship division, FCS, or 1AA as it used to be. Bisco. Yeah, I mean, this seems to change seemingly every day. But I think as we get closer and closer, uh, it seems like everyone is trying to figure out some way, somehow, of getting this done. And I think a big factor to this, moving forward, will be whether or not we get some of the other sports that should currently be playing going like basketball and baseball. Because if those games start going, then football has a clear plat- a clear plan and a clear direction of how to begin uh, all of their stuff. Uh, so yeah, I think we're definitely going to get started. Whether or not it gets throughout the entire season is a completely different story. Jason. Present. Four billion reasons why. Uh, I think, um, yeah, I think, like, we made the we made the joke and we touched on it before. Uh, college football runs college, college athletics as well as a lot of university funding. Um, so, yeah, I think that there's going to be a way. I just seen a report earlier today that campuses are opening back up for summer uh, semesters where students can actually attend classes online this uh, during summer semester for uh, a few colleges. So that helps a lot. Uh, and also the whole uh, MLB talk of having an opening day over what would have been the all-star break and everything does look like that is going to be moving forward too with everything going on. So you're going to be resuming pra- uh, some football activities as well as, you know, the whole Major League Baseball thing, looking at uh, the July 4th weekend as opening 
uh, using it as opening day or running a shortened season. So I do think that this is trending in the right direction. Um, let's just hope that um, some elephants don't get in the way and block this. Yeah, I mean, it, it seems like this changes, uh, you know, on a daily basis, though. So it's get, this is going to be a long couple of months to see what happens. And one thing I will say about what Jason said right there about campuses opening, I think a lot of that is university presidents are going to figure out some way to open up campus enough to be able to say, hey, we have students on campus so we can have the football players on campus. Because if they didn't open while the football season was going on, then the the myth of amateurism would be dead and buried forever. All right, Eric, you didn't give your thoughts on the, on the new story that you just discussed there, so now it's your turn. Well... Looking at that, not just with amateurism, but if we look at from the financial aspect just from other sports, you have had about 10 different programs across six different universities already disappear. Baseball, wrestling, track and field, golf, lacrosse, all of these to where they have some brands in their own right, as large as football and basketball, not by any stretch. But because of the basketball and football funding at some major universities like Furman, Old Dominion, Bowling Green, University of Cincinnati with men's soccer, like we discussed previously, all of these revenue for these sports come from football or basketball in some form. So having a football season just to avoid dealing with potential issues with Title IX and other programs and also continued losses by honoring scholarships for these other sports. Schools know, the NCAA knows, we've got to get something drummed up. Otherwise, these changes to the landscape are going to be much farther reaching than anyone realizes and much more permanent than anyone realizes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right, Eric. Story number three. Oh, let me get back. Why don't? Well, why don't we go ahead and do the SFA story here because of the um, because of the tie into athletics, specifically with them being somewhat of a power in uh, the FCS, at least when it comes to football, and then having the recent NCAA men's tournament runs that they've had as well. Well, that power is going to be heavily diminished because, as we talked about before, when it comes to the academic progress rate, which factors in grade point averages, graduation rates, etc., amongst your student-athletes, if it's high enough, you get a boost, like when in instances where we've had five and seven football teams go to bowls. If it's low enough, it will hurt. And in the case of Stephen F. Austin, because of their recent APR scores, they have had all kinds of sanctions, reduction in scholarship limits, among others. But the biggest ones were postseason bans, not just in one sport, in three of them. A postseason ban on football for 2020, a postseason ban for college basketball in the 2020-2021 season, and a postseason ban for their baseball team in the 2021 season. 
if you're sending a message like Bisco was saying about amateurism and the belief of being a student athlete, this helps further that message. Jason, for as, for as much publicity as Stephen F. Austin has gotten recently over the performances of their programs here, do you almost liken this to what happened to UNLV in an extent, but in, to an extent, but in a lesser degree with the death sentence that they got back in the 1980s? Well, SMU also got it. Um, UNLV got, got the thing in the early 90s. SMU was college football in the 80s. Uh, so yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, UNLV had the, uh, that was right after the Tartanian years of Larry Johnson, Stacey Ogman and all them, uh, winning the Uh national title. Uh, now SMU football did have that death sentence way back when in the, in the mid, mid eighties. Um, so yeah, I think this is on par with that. Um, it has a lot of similarities, so, uh, hopefully they could bounce back and this doesn't you know, really deter and scar their program like it did SMU. See, I think that this is actually important to happen, though, Bisco, because you were just mentioning the student and student athletes, and obviously the students with the Lumberjacks are not performing up to par. Yeah, I mean, it's it's something. Now, what were exactly all the, what were the violations that they got caught on that caused this? Their APR was under the standard rate, which had the uh, had their postseason eligibility pulled. Oh, okay. Um, so yeah, I mean, they. This is something I don't think it's quite to the level of of the death penalty, um, and that's why the, it didn't happen to Penn State back a few years ago, um, but. Uh, you know, this will certainly hurt them, um, and it'll, I would assume it'll make, it'll teach them a lesson, but it will also, it won't, it won't kill them for a decade, it'll, you know, it'll be something that they can recover from as long as they get their act together. Eric, I'll ask you this question now, because mm-hmm. you be being more of the sports historian. Correct me if I'm wrong. Southland Conference, correct? Ah, uh, yes. For Stephen F. Foster. Yeah. They're in the Southland. Um, do you think that this, do you think that this postseason ban does a disservice to the Southland due to their genuine runs that they've had over the last recent years and the fact that the further you advance into the FCS playoffs and the further you advance into March Madness, the more revenue it brings in for the conference? More so with basketball, because the Southland is your classic one-bid conference, so it will affect the other schools' basketball teams as far as that competitiveness and for that recruiting. Football, I kind of disagree, especially because you have your Missouri Valley and your Colonial, a couple of others that have been the real FCS conference powerhouses come the postseason so they won't take a hit in that regard and to kind of clarify for the smu penalty that was in 87 yes but that was long standing up to that yes all right anchorman bring us home final news story for the week anybody remember alden smith yeah i remember a guy 
San Francisco who used to have that name. Yes. Well, he's back. Yeah, he hasn't played in about five years and has had a lot of issues with suspensions. But Goodell was finally like, you know what? Come on back. Get ready to play somewhere. So, um, oh boy, that, that just just made things a little bit more interesting. And and what makes it even more interesting is he's on a team that we're going to talk about later. Than and a certain uh, head of W two M is a fan of. <laughs> that that makes their season even more interesting, and probably Seriously, even more of a train wreck. Okay, you know what? I'm gonna make a real. I'm gonna make a really, really bold prediction right now. You ready? Go for it. He doesn't see the start of the regular season before he's kicked out of the league again. Yeah, especially with the climate and everything. Yeah, you're probably right. What I forget what exact what did he do to get kicked out the first time? Drugs, if I'm not mistaken. Okay, then yeah. Yeah, especially considering the climate and considering what we've been seeing over the past few weeks with NFL players getting arrested. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Alden, per Pro Football Talk on NBC Sports, and I'll have to include this link as well since I'm actually quoting the article here. Alden Smith has been reinstated to the NFL after a long substance abuse suspension. And despite the nearly five-year layoff, he says that he can still be the all-pro he once was. Uh, he's going to um, be kicked out for drugs. I'm immediately saying shit like that. Okay. Uh, his last team in 2015, wasn't that the Raiders? Yes. Or, or no. Las Vegas? Was it the Raiders or the 49ers? No, I'm pretty sure he was in Oakland. Uh, I'm pretty sure he went to Oakland after San Francisco. Okay, kind of yes, you're right. You're right. San, right, San he was Francisco first on San Francisco, and then yes, and then he went to Oakland. You're right. So yeah, yeah, a team who is now based in Las Vegas, and you have substance abuse issues. Look, I'm not well, he's not on. He's not on Vegas anymore. He, He's a Dallas Cowboy now. So in some cases, that's kind of worse. I mean, granted, we're not talking about the 90s White House teams, but... All right, here's here's the one thing that I will say works, works to their advantage here. Mike McCarthy is a known hard ass. So McCarthy thinks that Alden Smith is being a distraction to the team, even if he does come back. McCarthy won't hesitate to pull the plug on the Alden Smith experiment. So, I, stand by, you, I stand by what I said, though. I don't think he makes it to the regular season. And this is the whole thing. Say McCarthy does cut him with your training camp or if there is a preseason. I think you're right in a couple of senses because even if he doesn't get in trouble, I don't think anybody else is going to sign him. Um, that all depends upon what he shows. If we do get training camp and preseason, that all depends upon how he's showing on the field. Um, if he hasn't had any issues off the field... I could see a team like, and you're going to hate me for saying this, Eric. I could see Jacksonville or, you no, know, the Jets. No, or, 
We have no, no, no. We have too many issues and some no. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. <coughs> that was too much chaos down here. We, I, oh God. Oh, you know I'm right, though, up. Eric. You, you know I'm right. I, I, I feel I, like we're gonna end up. I feel like we're gonna end up breaking Eric before the uh, before the season starts. <laughs> If it wasn't with the Telvin situation and that whole arrest and all of those alleged things with minors, oh mother! Not not to mention your your entire field's about to get ripped to shreds on Saturday. Oh, don't remind me. <laughs> they're just going to put in new turf after they're done. It's cool. Mm, yeah, and how went that? Yeah, you ever see what happens to new turf? After it rains, and we're approaching the rainy season, and there's that whole injury-prone thing too. I think Eric's gonna Eric's gonna snap on a shining style one day. All I'm work tell- and no play makes Eric go crazy. Look, I'm telling you, I have said for many a days now. I just need four things in my life, and I will be just fine. Good food, good sleep, good weed, good sex. If I'm getting all four of those, I'm okay. Right now, I'm only getting about one and a half of those things, so I can't take news like this. All I need is a typewriter. All right. Let's uh, finish busting Eric's balls here, and let's move on here. That's our news and notes for this week. If you want any more information about any of the stories that we discuss, uh, specifically the Olden Smith story, like I said, we will include a link to the Pro Football Talk article that I just quoted just because fair usage rights kind of have to include the link there so that way I don't get sued for – that way I don't get sued for what's plagiarism. (laughs) I am not a crook. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and now we continue with the series I uh, am not anyway <laughs> visual visual moment on an audio podcast sorry about that folks um, we now continue the series that we started a couple of weeks ago here is it is time for greatest of all teams part three don't forget to change that on the uh, episode description mm-hmm. for me, we left part yeah two. I got it but uh, great the greatest of all teams, part three, and we go to the NFC East. Obviously, this is of particular interest to two of the panel members on this show. Therefore, that team will go last in the NFC East. Just because it makes more, it makes the most sense for us to homer out at the end of the show like we usually yeah. do. The other member of the W2M crew that has a team, a dog in this fight, a team in this division a horse in this race and every other cliche that you could think of. I'm sure I could probably think of two or three more in the time that it's taken me to come up with this sentence is the Dallas Cowboys. And for me, we'll start offensively. And clearly the best thing about the Cowboys offensively is the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders. (laughs) No, not eligible. Okay. With an honorable mention, I mean, they're eligible in my mind, but I can't talk about movies that I would make on this show, so I have to stop there. Family show! <laughs> With honorable mentions to the two of the greatest quarterbacks in NFL history, and Troy Aikman and Roger Staubach, my official, my official pick for the Dallas Cowboys offensively, 
is the greatest running back not named Barry Sanders in NFL history and your actual NFL all-time rushing leader, Emmett Smith. Mm, yeah, okay. I'm, I'm on board with you there. Uh, I think that uh, if, since we can only go one player, uh, Emmett, Emmett being up there, of course you got to, I mean, Staubach's in the conversation. Michael Irvin's in the conversation. I mean, um, so, I mean, a lot of the 90s Cowboys are in that conversation. I just don't think that um, you can surpass Emmett in being being the best player to ever uh, lace up uh, the miniskirt for the Cowboys. Bisco? Yeah, this, the cl- – I think you I think we can all agree that the Cowboys offense is one of the most stacked all-time teams ever because we just mentioned four guys that are among the greatest of all time and we didn't even mention probably the fifth guy on that list who is also one of the greatest of all time in to- Tony Dorsett. So, you know, there are a ton of great offensive players on this team. But yeah, I think I have to go with Emmett Smith. It's a very tough choice between Smith and uh, Roger Staubach, but I think I have to go with Smith. Uh, with an honorable mention, like like Harry said, to both Troy Aikman and uh, Roger Staubach. And another name that we didn't mention is arguably the greatest player in his position at this particular spot as well, fullback Jason Will and, and Jason Wynn. I would put Tony probably a little nah. bit ahead of Witten in terms of tight ends. But I would argue that Moose is probably one mm. of the greatest, if not the greatest, fullback in NFL yeah. history. Yeah. Uh, Eric, are you going to complete the the clean sweep for the all-time king of rushing? I am. I did have a couple honorable mentions. One to Tony Dorsett, like Bisco mentioned. But another honorable mention to... At the one-time world's fastest man, wide receiver Bullet Bob Hayes, who very dynamic in part of the early days of that offense in the 60s and into the 70s. But they, while they get honorable mentions, it's got to be Emmett. I will complete the unanimity. Speaking of unanimity, I think we might be doing the same thing defensively as well. Because while he may have started in Atlanta... He made his name in Dallas. My pick for the greatest defender in Dallas Cowboy history is Dion Primetime Sanders. Jason? Uh, Leon Lett. <laughs> Get that motherfucker, Don. Get him! Get him! If he only knew I, I how think, to... I think... I think... I think that was the... Uh, he he is the most famous defender for the Cowboys ever. I mean, it, I think infamy is the word. I, I think I was going to say it might be for infamy, but you know, the, his name is synonymous with the Cowboys. Now, uh, yeah, I mean, I wanted to go Dion for the 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 Falcons, but I think that he had his heyday and some of his uh, career highlights. Why? Why in in Dallas? So I'm going to I mean, you've got a plethora of um, other people that can you can name. But I think um, 
think I have to go Dion. I mean, the uh, the only other one uh, would be up there. Uh, I mean, you could go you could go uh, Lily or or Randy White, but I think um, I think for me personally, I always uh, think of Dion as a cowboy, and he revolutionized the defensive back position. So I'm going to have to go Dion, unfortunately. Bisco. Yeah, I think, I mean, when you think Cowboy Defenders, yeah, you think of some other guys. You think of Leon Lett. You think of, um, wow, I'm drawing a blank on his name. A, a name that just, a name that I want to throw out there as well with an honorable mention is DeMarcus Ware. Well, that's exactly who I, yeah. I was trying to think of was DeMarcus Ware. You think of him when it comes to the more modern uh, Cowboys. But, yeah, I mean, Dion. Yes, a lot of people, depending upon when you start watching football and when you watch football, you can think of him as a Falcon as well. But I think most of us think of him wearing that star and running down the field with with interceptions into that blue end zone at Texas Stadium. Uh, so, I'm yeah. i this out there, too. I think Tony Romo could be thrown in as the best defense player, too, because... <laughs> I'm pretty sure that he had he had more tackles than uh, most defenders on the Cowboys football teams during his his uh, his stand in Dallas. No, Tony Romo has to be uh, one of the greatest uh, defensive players for like any other team in the league because of no, how many he interceptions to, he threw. No, because he had to make the tackles after he th- had to help <laughs> make tackles after he threw the interception. True. I mean, I'm pretty, I, I would I would go out on a limb and say. Tony Romo has more career tackles than Larry Fitzgerald. Well, we had that. We're going to have a stat about Larry Fitzgerald a little bit later on. Spoiler alert, people. We're picking Fitz for Arizona. It shouldn't be a secret. But we're going to have a mind-blowing stat that we came across for Larry Fitzgerald that absolutely signifies just how good Larry Fitzgerald is. We'll talk about that when we get to the NFC West. All right. The other name, too, to throw in, and then, um, Eric, we'll get to your pick for Dallas as well. The other name that I want to throw in as well is a guy I think we associate maybe more with the Pittsburgh Steelers but had just as a productive career in Dallas, and that would be Darren Woodson. I was gonna, I'm was i going with Woodson for another team. That's why I didn't take him uh, for. Are you thinking Darren Woodson or Charles Woodson? He's thinking Charles. He's thinking Charles for Oakland. Oh, so, yeah, Charles you're right. Woodson. Damn it. <laughs> Bisco going to <All> Bisco. Right. <laughs> All right, Eric, are you completing the set here? Is it prime time? It is. I mean, he called Texas Stadium his house. And even for his Falcons career, like we've all mentioned, he was even multifaceted in Atlanta. And lest we forget his attempted double play also playing for both the Falcons and the Braves in a single day. So he was just a multifaceted athlete. But when you're really looking at his highlights for the defensive side of the ball, it has to be him. But my honorable mention is from going back in the days of their doomsday defense, also in the 70s, Ed Tuttle Jones. Another one of those anchors along that front four. All right, here's my question about this here, and we've kind of seen this sort of show its face during the course of us doing 
the greatest of all teams here. Do you think we have a recency bias on this show? Do you think that the fact that all the four of us are around the same age relatively, we're all within a decade of each other, that that affects our overall presentation as to how we're going about making our picks for these for these teams? Yeah, because we 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 tie it to our memories of football and who right. we who we feel in our opinion because we don't uh, there's a lot of players we don't have tape on and we're not really familiar with. Uh, one we'll be talking about here shortly, uh, actually with the next team that Harry you yourself said you wasn't really familiar with. That's actually two teams away. Uh, P is before W, sir. Uh, I thought we already did. <laughs> I, I'm, you see how much you see you see how much attention I paid play, pay to the Philadelphia <laughs> Eagles. Remember, P is before W, but D is important to get to the P anyway. Family show. <laughs> On a related note. The unprofessional, ladies and gentlemen. All right. Anyway, uh, Eric, do you think we have a recency bias on this show? Honestly, and I can say for myself, I do have some recency bias because even though I'm in my 30s, I did start watching football more closely when the Jaguars came to town in 95 and really started appreciating football around 2000. While, yes, being with my analytical and historian self, I do look back and have gotten real and deep to episodes of this week in pro football from the 60s and 70s, but the memories that really ingrained in me and really what got me into sports as a whole were from the 90s and 2000s, so if there was someone I remember seeing on TV or remember seeing and go play, yeah, I'm going to favor on them more than someone from yesteryear see and that's kind of what i was just about to say to bisco as well do you think the fact bisco you're the youngest of the four of us it's not exactly a secret mm-hmm. but as the youngest of the four of us maybe even the players that were in the the mid 90s that we got to watch as we were into our teenage years that you maybe did see do you think that there's more of a bias towards players from the current generation for yourself as opposed to the t- the players from the teams on those 80s oh those Eight mid to late nineties, early two thousand Super Bowl teams and stuff. To an extent, yes. I mean, I did start getting into football very young, so you know, I do remember. Like when we were talking about Green Bay, you know, I do remember when Reggie White was a was a Packer and everything, and Brett Favre playing and all of that. Um, so you know, I think there is a recency bias to an extent when it comes to certain teams. Uh that have long histories. I mean, especially like with the Cowboys, we, you know, there are certainly players that we could have gone further back. We mentioned Staubach. You know, there ha- there were other players that we could have mentioned. Dorset, Dorset uh, on the defensive end. Uh, we could have talked about uh, Randy White. Um, so, you know, there are some, there is a bit of a recency bias, but I think it's also, you know, just looking at it as an overall picture. That's the thing about, and, and you see it all the time when it comes to basketball, people comparing eras, is that it's really hard to compare eras because the game changed so much. 
you know, uh, you can't really compare a quarterback, you know, we, we all agreed, or at least some of us agreed, um, on Bart Starr as the greatest of all time for the Packers. But if you look at it statistically, his statistics are, you know, horrible for today's day and age. And if someone looked at it purely on a on an analytical level, you wouldn't he wouldn't come anywhere close. But, you know, that's why you can't really compare eras as much. Um and while yes there may be certain teams in certain areas where we do have a recency bias, I mean we all agreed I mean, granted this may say more about the Browns than anything than anything about us. But we all agreed that Jim Brown, who none of us saw play live, uh, was the greatest of all time for the Bears. Or for the Browns, excuse me. All right, two things before we move on here. Uh, One, I think that a lot of the Jim Brown thing has to do with the fact that he's just so synonymous with the organization, Mm -hmm. even more so than the team he helped create in Cincinnati. And two in regards to the recency bias as well and i will say this much statistical information is much more prevalent for our generation yes Mm -hmm. we have the ability to compare statistics sacks forced fumbles turnovers interceptions offensively passing yards receptions yards per catch all that information we have the ability to compare that much now much more now for players of our generation than we have for players back in the 50s 60s and Mm -hmm. 70s that we don't have that kind of statistic statistical availability for now the one team that's going to be the most interesting when it comes to recency bias and i mean there's one coming up uh that we'll talk about a little later that'll be interesting to see but the one team i think will be the most interesting to see is going to be in a couple of weeks with the colts well we'll talk about uh we'll talk about indianapolis here in a bit here uh, we'll get to them in five weeks, I think. They're three weeks. Away. The South is going. Oh, last. oh, they're going last. You're right. You're right. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. Let's move on to the Philadelphia Eagles now. And offensively, this is going to be interesting because I remember us having quite the heated debate about this last week off air. And I feel like we're about to bring it on air because I'm standing by my statement. My pick for Philadelphia offense is Donovan McNabb. And you would be wrong. The quarterback for their most successful years of their franchise. But without a Randall Cunningham, Donovan McNabb would not have had the success he did in Philadelphia, nor any other running quarterback in the league today. Randall Cunningham revolutionized the running out of the in scrambling quarterback that McNabb was able to benefit from. Uh, think of, um, uh, I'm trying to think of a really good comparison because uh, I would say, I would say a, I think of Michael, uh, the Michael Vick of his time because nobody, everybody was used to a pocket pa- passing quarterback when Cunningham came into the league. Um, I mean, there's plenty of people that, you know, you can throw out there. Uh, Westbrook uh, is an honorable mention. Is, is, uh, oh, for, for Philadelphia, sorry, continue. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Westbrook is, you know, somebody that, you know, that I was a huge fan of. But I don't think that um, 
you can you can overlook Cunningham uh, as the all-time best uh, quarterback sh- in Philadelphia and on that franchise squad. I think I saw you shake oh, real quick, uh, Bisco. We'll get to we'll get to you last because I saw Eric shaking his head in agreement with Jason, and this is kind of how we were divided last week off air. So I'll go ahead and let Eric speak here because I know Eric picked Randall Cunningham as well. Because I mean, if you look at the era. Going out all the way through either running or scrambling quarterbacks, hardly anybody remembers Jack Concanon for the Bears back in the 60s and 70s who was one of the first. We talked about this with Fran Tarkenton during his time with both Minnesota and the Giants. But if you were someone with that just certain level of athleticism and kind of power, even really more than Michael Vick had, and He was that guy. And you talk about success for Philadelphia. Yes, under Andy Reid, Donovan McNabb, Philadelphia had a very great run. But if you look at when McNabb was coming to the Eagles, face it, since the year after they got to the Super Bowl with Jaworski, which was in 80, they got to the playoffs again in 81. They did not make the playoffs again until Cunningham came in. Led them to, I think it was either the NFC East title, but they still played in Chicago because they had the better record in the divisional round in 88 with the Fog Bowl. So he really got them back on the map. You have another quarterback, and I don't think those 80s teams were the same. And then with the success of Cunningham, even though he did go on and do great things as a Viking, and I have a very painful memory of the 50-9 to loss by Jacksonville in the first ever Sunday night game I watched. Should not have stayed up for that one. But if he hadn't have had that success early on in his career, he wouldn't have been able to develop and hone for what he did with other teams. But he was extremely influential at that time. All right, Bisco, are you sending us to a vote, or are you actually going to give it to the to the elder statesman here? Yeah, I'm going to send it to a vote, and this kind of plays into what we were talking about earlier with that recency bias, what? because... The exact, real quick, the exact reason I brought it up before this discussion. Yeah, because when I think Randall Cunningham, I think Vikings. I never saw him play for the Eagles. So he does not, I do not think Eagles when I think Randall Cunningham. Just like how Harry forgot that Reggie White played for the Packers. I knew that Cunningham played for the Eagles. But I do not think of him as an Eagle. I think of him as a Viking. So that's why when I think Philadelphia Eagles offense, I think of either Brian Westbrook or Donovan McNabb. Or you could, I could be a dick and say T.O., but, you know, I'm not going to go there. So, yeah, Donovan McNabb. Uh, real quick, of the current generation, since we didn't really mention any current generations, what current Philadelphia Eagle do you think would be most synonymous with the franchise? I'm going to throw a unique name out there for you. Currently? Yeah, I'm, I would say I would say Ertz or Wentz. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, I mean. Those are two that of uh, recent memory, which we're going to be talking about uh, a certain player here here soon that is 
um, not not very not very recent, but he is relatively uh, fresh um, to all of us. Actually, he he was drafted, I think, my senior year of high school. So um, so yeah, I'm gonna have to. I would say Ertz probably would would get the nod. See, I don't think I can include Wentz there because the Super Bowl rings came. The Super Bowl yeah. ring came courtesy of Nick Foles. Yeah, yeah. I, I would have to Wentz say Ertz as well. I'd have to go with Ertz. All right, let's move over to the defensive side here. Jason, you lead yeah. us off. Um, I, I want to go. I have to find my. I have to find my pick here. Ah, uh, it's it's easy. Uh, like I was saying, I mean, I think the. The defensive player for me is is one that is synonymous with the heart and soul of Philadelphia. And uh, let me see. I think he was taking it. Yeah, he was taking second round in the 1996 uh, NFL draft. Um, he was basically a man among children in the NFL when he came in. He was one of the on, only few members of the 2020 club, uh, and that is 20 sacks and 20 interceptions. Um but his stats wasn't uh, what made him my pick. It was, the, like I said, it was the heart and soul of that Philadelphia defense that he did. I mean, he could he could deliver some bone crunching hits that would uh, would really just change the momentum of the game and really uh, prevent some of the top receivers in the NFL from coming across. And he would um, he would really have some players playing scared so my defensive player is going to be safety brian dawkins yeah and that's actually who i picked as well brian dawkins yeah. the, the uh, philadelphia all-time leader in interceptions and inside of the philadelphia all-time top 15 in forced fumbles as well yeah brian dawkins as well for me same i mean you just could not throw anywhere near him and gotta help you if he lined up on a blitz are we going to throw out any honorable mentions for the uh, Philadelphia defense here? Eric, you want to lead us off if you have one? I actually did not have one for their defense. Bisco? Neither did I. Uh, I mentioned that he's their all-time leader in interceptions. Another name that's pretty popular as well as uh, well, among the all-time leaders as well, Eric Allen. Yeah, that is... I mean, uh, of course, you know, if Another we want to pick too. for if we want to pick him for Green Bay, we would all be saying Reggie White right here. But mm-hmm. we we tied him to the Green Bay defensive player, so it makes him ineligible to be also named Philadelphia's all time greatest defensive player. Can I throw out a couple of older names? One super older, one more currently older, because one of the names that came up when we originally discussed this in the group chat was Chuck Bednarik. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about him, but because he was really, and it was tough for me because he was the last great Iron Man because he played along both the offensive and defensive lines, gave Vince Lombardi fits ahead of that 1960 championship game. Here's another name to throw out there as well, though we know him better as a coach. Currently with Sparky down at Arizona State. Herm Edwards. Herm Edwards. Yeah. 1977 to 1985, 33 career interceptions with Philadelphia. 
one oh, behind oh. one behind the all-time lead held by Dawkins, Eric Allen, and Bill Bradley. Okay, but riddle me this. If it wasn't for the Miracle at the Meadowlands, the original one, and for the performance, somewhat of a good performance, in that Super Bowl against Oakland, would we, he really have been that memorable? I personally don't think so. Not as a player. Maybe not personality-wise, but the statistics back it up. True, but I mean, again, with the statistics, I completely understand that. But then you go back into the argument that Bisco presented comparing eras. That makes and it better. And also the argument that Jason presented with the fear of God that Brian Dawkins struck into people. Absolutely. Herm, as good as he was, didn't have that. I mean, you talk about anybody really striking the fear of God on either side. Back in some of those earlier days, it would have either been, as we mentioned, Randall Cunningham, as you mentioned, Chuck Bicknerick, as we didn't even mention Harold Carmichael. So we're taking Philadelphia's offense to a vote, which reminds me, congratulations, Jason. No need to congratulate me. It was an obvious pick. It was also a pretty much stone-cold runaway on Twitter as well. Clay Matthews Matthews Jr. more or less ran away with it. That is correct. Um, Which, I mean, it it, it happens. I mean, I think – let me me pull up the – final tally here i i do think that it'll be interesting to get kind of that recency bias on twitter though with this randall with this randall cunningham versus donovan mcnab poll because i do think we're gonna i would argue that we'll probably see the recency bias play a role in this Mm. yeah for the young for the demographics of twitter as a whole i can Uh, agree let's see here uh, oh. seven, out of 16 votes received, 75% went to Clay Matthews Jr. Which is 12, for those of you yeah. who don't math. I, I wonder <laughs> how much of that, especially with what we've been talking about with the recency of bias, I wonder how much that has to do with the name recognition, not so much for him, but for his son. Well, given the people that Jason sent this tweet, the, the, the tweet out to in order to do the collection for the data for it. I don't think it's so much resting on his son's laurels. That's true. Uh, At least that's one Browns pick that he got right. (laughs) All right, let's move on here. I I picked you to be my co-host, so that's two. (laughs) (laughs) The views and opinions of Jason Teasley do not necessarily reflect son of a bitch. (laughs) We play we play the hits here on the kickoff. Don't ever let it be stated that we don't. All right. Anyway, let's move on to the Washington Redacteds. Um, offensively here, this is going to be interesting because I saw a couple of picks and then one of them got changed because somebody may have influenced somebody somewhere else. Jason, I'm going to stick with my pick because of the fact of a he. It, the story hurt. The, the story physically hurts me as a fan of the team I'm a fan of, but be the historical significance of what was accomplished by this particular person. Oh yeah, that that's going to be my my um, my honorable mention. Um, so, but my my pick was um, I was really looking into this, and I was really leaning 
toward a certain person due to the historical value being the first African-American um, quarterback to win a Super Bowl in Doug Williams. But um, then I, I thought I thought about it hard and, you know, and I went back and forth with it. I wrestled with it. And I just have to say that um, Art Monk, it was would have to be my pick for Washington's uh, player. I think you can't go wrong. I would be happy with either uh, Williams or Monk. I think, uh, especially with the you know the historical fact of Williams, uh, Eric brought up a good point off air last week, and that will be he'll be touching on here shortly. But I think Art Monk. Art Monk was a a solid receiver. He was the face of that franchise for a little bit. Uh, you know, the stats back then don't correlate to the way stats are now. But he he had great hands. He had great body control. He was a threat anywhere he kept the ball, catches the ball. He was a threat on the field. So, and it was also he was part of the Washington team about. When, you know, when I started really getting into football, everybody knows that I'm a Giants fan. So I got to see uh, the Redskins twice a year um, throughout all my childhood days yeah. and everything. No, uh, I call them that racial racial team in Washington. Um, but, um, yeah, I think I think that I will have to go with a very, very close razor thin uh, margin to take Monk over Doug Williams. Okay, since he revealed it there, I'll go ahead and go into more detail here. It's specifically the fact that as a Buffalo Bills fan, um, falling victim to Doug Williams, the first black quarterback to win a Super Bowl, the historical significance therein, and not to mention the fact that the career statistics backed it up as well. What are you looking at me like that? Well, I know Mark Ripken was the quarterback for the Washington team that beat Buffalo. I'm about to say because Williams win when he threw four touchdown passes in the second quarter, that was against Denver. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm aware. But okay. The Washington, the Washington franchise has a history with Buffalo in the Super Bowl, which makes the, the franchise's Super Bowl history more relevant for me. True. One out of those three. Yeah. You also have a history with the Giants. I'm waiting. I, I already know where this is going. Buffalo's greatest offensive player for Brandon, Scott Norwood. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. Don't start going wide right on us, okay, Harry? We need you out here. <laughs> for those of you who haven't, I highly recommend the Four Falls of Buffalo. It makes you look at Scott Norwood in a completely different light. I go back to what I said when I watched the Four Falls originally when we were still doing this podcast. Do you guys remember the exact quote that I had? Because I do. That Scott you hate Norwood. people? Scott Norwood, I forgive you. Yeah. Honestly, with the way that it hit him, it's crushed. So that way, I can't really bust on him too bad because I have also seen Four Falls of Buffalo. Very good work. So I, I in, if you look at it statistically, even leading up to that kick, I completely get it. Completely get it. Not to mention it also brought us the best kicker in Buffalo history in Steve Christie. True. True. But let's go ahead and discuss a couple of other players for Washington real quick here. I want to give a quick honorable men a couple of quick honorable mentions here. And one specific honorable mention that I want to give is to Alex Smith. 
And I know people are going to look at me and be like, what the fuck is he talking about, Alex Smith? He just became a Washington player two seasons ago and missed almost all of the season that he was there for. Yeah, but if you've had an opportunity to actually do the research as to the effort that that man is trying to put into getting back into the NFL again, you would realize just how big that guy's heart and how big that dude's balls are. Because I can tell you for damn sure that I would not be willing to do a tenth of what Alex Smith has put himself through in order to try to get back into the NFL. And in one of the rare instances that it will happen on this show, I will give absolute credit to Daniel Snyder for standing behind Alex Smith throughout the entire process. Absolutely. I saw Project 11. I would be skittish about him coming back even when partly because of all of that great effort i do applaud snyder for saying hey if it doesn't work out i got this job here it's all yours no questions asked because of the things that you've done in your brief time for this franchise the one thing that i can respect him for but given his overall career and everything it puts him higher up. But as I said before, three Super Bowl wins, three different quarterbacks. All right, Eric, are you are you going to end up going with the decision that you originally made and siding with one of us? Or are you going to go with the potential influence decision and side with the other? Honestly, I am going to go ahead with Art Monk because even with the change in quarterbacks, he was one of two real offensive stalwarts throughout all these teams. And the other one is my honorable mention, John Riggins. Great yeah, I mean, Riggins, Riggins is in the conversation. Yeah, blocking, catching, and his tremendous power. Lest we forget that first Super Bowl victory against the Dolphins. Yes, it was a strike-shortened season, but that aside, you just don't pull over somebody and run 70, 80 yards in a championship game. You don't do that. So, honorable mention to Riggins, but yeah, for very quiet, very classy guy, but professional, really put up the numbers, it's got to be Art Monk. And the reason why I say that, and I said this off air, yes, the history was made for Doug Williams in Washington with that Super Bowl win. But if it wasn't for the success of his first team, bringing them really from the ashes, I don't think Gibbs would have really stuck with him and given him as much of a chance as he did. Because he'd already proven he had a modicum of success. And that's why I'm saving Williams for when we get to that team. So that's actually a deep tease for a little bit later on in the little bit later on in the series. Mm-hmm. All right, Bisco, you can once again tie it up. You can give somebody the lead, or you can toss out an, an extra vote. I'm tossing out an extra vote uh, because I'm going with Joe Theismann. I, I don't think Theismann's – the thing that Theismann is most remembered for is having his leg broken on national television. True, and but, he did, but he did lead the Redskins to two Super Bowls and won one Red for Jackets. them. Sorry, sorry. 
So he, he did. He did. And were those two and three years or close to being back to back? If I remember yes. correctly, yes, I believe so. The franchise has what five appearances overall? I believe. Yes, or two and three. I think. Thought it was four. Four I'm, I'm pretty... appearances. Oh, four and appearances. And they're three and one. Really? Huh. Those must have been. Those must have been in the days. P.S. Pre Snyder. <laughs> yeah, yeah. One loss in that one. Yeah, three and one. You bunch of FedEx frickups. <laughs> hey, hey, blame Jack Kent Cook for that. And I have a personal story, wait, but wait, can that can that be their new name on the show? The Washington FedEx frickups. Yeah, sure, I'd stick with that. But yeah, right. uh, just to say, and I know it's not the end of the show, but we're getting close. Yeah, Jack Kent Cook, you're still a dick. Personal story have... aside. Mm-hmm. They have three Super Bowl championships, and, and they have played in. I think. Let's see here. Five. Uh, I'm I thinking thought it was it's five, but it might be four. I think it is four. All right. Well, while while he's looking that up, we'll switch over to defensively for the Washington Redacteds here. And I know we have a little bit of a difference of opinion on this one as well. There's no unanimity on this one. See, Eric, now you got me screwing up the word. (laughs) There's no unanimity on this one either because my personal pick is Ryan Kerrigan, who was with Washington from 2011 to 2019 and is their all-time leader in both sacks and forced fumbles with 26 forced fumbles and 90s career sacks. Again, sacks, I feel the need to issue the disclaimer every time we talk about sacks on this show, did not become an official statistic until the early 80s in the NFL. Harry Harry was correct, by the way. It is five. Three three of five. Yeah, three and two. Okay. Bisco hit Wikipedia while we were doing the show. (laughs) Which one am I missing then? We'll do that off air, Eric. Okay. Focus. Stay with us. Come on. <laughs> I'm trying. It's just, a, you know how my brain activates in these situations. It sounds like the damn press your luck board when it gets to this. <laughs> 321 career solo tackles, 116 assisted tackles with 114 tackles for loss for a total of 437. 90 sacks, as I said, the franchise leader in Washington by eight full sacks over Charles Mann and 26 forced fumbles the franchise lead in Washington by nine over Charles Mann. So my official pick for Washington defense is Ryan Kerrigan. And you would be wrong because I'm going to go with a, I think this is a trend because this will be the third defensive back that I have mentioned during this podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm going to go out on a limb and nominate one Daryl Green, who was possibly one of the best defensive backs for the Redskins in their, or for Washington, the fuck tarts. We'll call them the fuck tarts. <laughs> and they're, 
the racist re- racist Redskins and their historical um, run. Uh, Daryl Green was uh, someone that you know that they built the team around. He uh, influenced games. He took over games, uh, just like Dawkins. He was a game changer. He you had to scheme uh, to keep the ball and keep him from making plays because he had some bone crushing hits. He had great field depth per, per, uh, perception. I mean, he was he hawked the ball. He was all over the field. So I'm going to have to go with Daryl Green as my nomination. Just look this up. With an wow. honorable mention. With a honorable mention of someone who only spent four years with the club and who was who was on his way to be one of the greatest defensive players of all time before his life was cut short, and that's Sean Taylor. Okay, that's fair. Um, um I, just, I just looked this up, Eric, and this is this is. I'm going to steal your squid bit here. Okay. The all-time franchise record for interceptions is held by Daryl Green. That shouldn't surprise you. Mm -hmm. You know what what will surprise a lot of people? The next closest person to him has 67% of his total. Wow. 36. Wow. That is dominant that is a dominant defensive presence. I again though, I think that this is an area where the recency bias plays for me because I'm more familiar with Ryan Kerrigan's line of work, whereas Jason's more of a longer term fan. My nice way of calling him old. Eric, I saw you sh- I saw you once again shaking your head, and I know how this story ends because we talked about it in the group chat. Go mm-hmm. ahead and break my heart again. Jason, don't feel bad because by Harry's standards, we both need walking canes. 20 seasons, seven-time Pro Bowler, first-team All-Pro in 91. Whenever I watched Washington, there was always the one name. The man was feared. Another one of those guys you never wanted to throw to, even late in his career in the early 2000s. Daryl Green, I'm sorry. You don't get named to both, what, the 50th and 75th anniversary of the team for no reason whatsoever. Even Eagles fans, when he was in his last season and playing his last game against Philadelphia, I remember this distinctly watching the broadcast. Even though I bleed Eagle Green, I will always respect Daryl Green. You don't get that from Philadelphia. No. You get snowballs and batteries thrown at you. And that's if you're cynical. <laughs> exactly. Uh, real quick to Eric's earlier point there about you guys needing canes. What Eric is neglecting here is I'm actually older than he is. And, and they call me Big Daddy Kane. Bisco. So apparently, according to Harry, all three of us are old. Because I am also going with Daryl Green. Thank you! God damn it! <laughs> I'm just Go curious. Have I, have I lost a poll outside the one that's being voted on? No. 
You you may you may in a little bit though. Continue uh, with your thoughts on Daryl Green. Brandon. Yeah, I mean, being Let's on one being on one team for 20 seasons and almost doubling the number of interceptions to your next closest uh highest uh guy in in uh Washington. I mean, the numbers don't lie. Okay, A, we learned that Bisco can't math or English in that sentence. Yeah. <laughs> it's a third more. Oh, okay, it was a third more, okay. It's okay, Bisco. It's okay, I'll, I'll take care of you. Just, I'm pretty sure that, you know, I'm going to call you a mentally challenged window licker here shortly, so I'll take care of you on this one. Besides, this is why I'm the math guy around here. I think I could give you a run for your money. Unless unless we start doing like equations and shit, then I drop off significantly. Like statistics and stuff, that's my jam. Equations, you lose me. All right, let's move on here. So that completes the Strawberry's three. my jam. Apple. Lemon, also good. Anyway, that completes the three teams that aren't specifically trademarked to one particular member of this broadcast. The other team is specifically trademark, trademarked to a member of this broadcast, and it's trademarked to two of them. So they're going to go last for this discussion. Eric, we start offensively, and God, can they be offensive for the New York football Giants? And to me, see, this is a case where there is no recency bias. Because to me, so the greatest offense... To me, the greatest offensive name in the history of the franchise is the man who took the franchise to its first Super Bowl rings, and that's Phil Simms. Eric? Yeah, had network issues. Thankfully, I was able to avoid it this long. Well, with the recency bias, you're not going to get the issue in my case because... If you look at these teams, and I am going way back in the day, back in the day of the era of what is regarded as the greatest game ever played in the NFL, even though you've had some very prominent quarterbacks, even though you've had Super Bowl winning quarterbacks, you take the Super Bowls out of it, they have issues in their career. One of them who I'm pretty sure you're going to mention just happened to end with a record of 116 and 116, or thereabouts. That number 16 comes in handy in my case, because I'm going with halfback Frank Gifford. Who most listeners of this show will know better as part of the one of the early editions of Monday Night Football. Or the, Kathy Lee's husband. More Kathy Lee's husband, actually, yes. All right, Giants fans. Brandon, I'll let you start. Yeah, I mean, call it recency bias. Call it whatever you want. Oh, my God, he's going to do it. He's going to do it. (sighs) Yes, he had his issues. But to be able to beat the greatest of all time twice and... To be able to be Captain Clutch when he needed to be. I I gotta go with Eli. Oh, come on! 
I mean, yeah, I, full, I fully acknowledge Phil Sims going 22. Calm, calm down. <laughs> calm down. This is why I said I'm going to be calling him a malnourished window licker. I love Eli. Don't get me wrong. But Eli is a great football giant. He, he had a wonderful career in New York. But Harry is redeeming himself because my pick is also Phil Sims, who was the quarterback when I became a Giants fan and helped groom me into the Giants fan that I am. Um, I think Sims was the, uh, like I said, I mean, there's plenty of people that you could throw in there. I mean, you got Otis Anderson, Mark Bavaro, um, You've got, um, you know, Saquon's going to be his name's. If his career goes continues on the trajectory, you know, we could revisit revisit this in five six years. If you know, I haven't kicked the bucket due to old age. Um, you know, we could revisit this. We could we could do this. I'm sure. Hopefully, we're still friends in five six years. We can look back and, and you know see if there's any recent players you know that are in the current. Uh, Game. I mean, you even got to throw out. Uh, I mean, the, it, it's it's hard to not have you know Frank Gifford in that conversation, but I do have to go with Sims. Now here comes the fun part because the defensive side. I'll kick it off. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Two things before you do. <laughs> One. To the Phil Sims thing that Eric mentioned. Eli Manning's career record, 116 and 116. Phil Sims' career record as a starter, 95 and 64. Okay. Yeah. Phil Sims' career touchdown to interception ratio, 199 to 157. I sincerely doubt Eli's is that good. No, Eli. <laughs> Eli was uh, led the league, I think, twice in interceptions. Not to and mention. Go ahead, Harry. Just real quick here, I'm look. I'm over on Pro Football Reference. I'm over on Pro Football Reference right now, and I'm looking at the amount of seasons that Sims played in the NFL here. And did you know that when Sims played in New York, on seasons that he was not hurt. Because we have a lot of we have a lot of teams now where players come out for a game here or a game there, regardless of that. On seasons that Sims did not get hurt, he played in every game for the team. In all but two of his seasons. And, and, and that's why I give him credit. And like I was saying to the one Super Bowl he did play in, because Jeff Hostetler played in that second one. Yes, shredded the Broncos. 22 for 25, that completion percentage still remains a record, but he was good. 88%. Right, 88%. He was good, but even he and Bill Parcells got into it about saying, hey, yeah, you're like 11 or 12 or 12 for 12. Throw the damn ball down the field, why don't you? But he doesn't need to. The other thing is his regards to what Jason said there with the whole revisiting this down the line. I think you can definitely make the argument for Saquon Barkley down the line. 
And I think mm-hmm. that this is going to be a similar situation to what we were just talking about with Lamar Jackson in Baltimore. The fact of the that Saquon Barkley could be a, fra- a face of a franchise-type player. What's going to be really interesting is because we can revisit it, review, revisit this uh, on another team uh, that, as me and Harry will definitely hate discussing uh, with another player for another team in the AFC uh, in a couple of weeks when we talk about that team, uh, having to revisit to see what his impact over his career uh, will be. I just don't think he's going to play enough down there to matter for that franchise. I, I think he will because I think they'll break the bank to keep him. Two seasons. I agree, I'm saying. but I'm also going to do a DT of my own. The diehards. I don't even think the diehard we're talking about will know oh, the name I have in mind. Oh, I have, I have one for that. We'll talk about offline, but defensively for the Giants. Hold on, There's, the Giants fans go last here. The Giants fans go last here. I was kicking it back around. We was, we was, I was talking. We kick it back around. Okay, then go ahead. Just trying to take over as the host. Cool. <laughs> Tried to put me out of a job. It's fine. Go ahead. Hey, Harry, remember better kick around than a reach around. Yeah, family show. Uh, but I mean, there's there's only one, uh, well, two initials synonymous with the Giants defense. Who, uh, you know, we we mentioned Joe Theismann earlier, and I think that, you know. Being able to play games hopped up on cocaine and everything and being known, uh, having a WrestleMania moment and everything. LT, Lawrence Taylor, um, probably one of the greatest defensive players ever, not only on the Giants, but ever, um, has to be my pick here. With I teased this um, not long ago. I think I teased it last week. With a... I said I had a connection to one of my honorable mentions. Uh, the other honorable mentions will be covered by uh, you guys, but my deep cut honorable mention will be a lovely linebacker. Does anybody want to make the guess who it is? Hmm. Armstead? Oh, no, you mentioned it off air. Pepper Johnson. No. It wasn't Pepper uh, Thought you mentioned no. him off. No, he, no. All right. I said I, I would have I would have a connection, and that is one linebacker, Sam Huff. Mm. Does anybody want to know the connection? Did Huff play? Um, did Lawrence Taylor take over for Huff? No, there's a reason I'm wearing this hoodie, and oh, I'm West Virginia. Okay. He also played for the West Virginia Mountaineers in college. And he is actually enshrined in both West Virginia and the Giants Hall of Fame. So as my one of my honorable mentions that don't want to steal one of your guys' thunder, and I'm going to go with Sam Huff as an honorable mention to be in the discussion as well. 18 career interceptions. 11 career fumble recoveries for Sam Huff. Played 1956 to 1963 with the Giants. Yep. All right, so he's with LT. 
I originally had a pick that I was talked out of. My original pick, and therefore I will give him an honorable mention, is Jason Pierre-Paul. My other honorable mention, and this might throw some people because he's known more for he was known eventually more for his fame than he was his on-field performance. But people forget how good of a player he actually was when he was in his prime, and that's Jason Seahorn. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. yeah. yeah I was know. actually going to give Seahorn an honorable mention myself. But my official pick is the franchise's all-time sacks leader and the single-season all-time sack leader as well, and that would be Michael Strahan. And that is a conversation. I mean, you can't not have that conversation without Strahan's name being mentioned. Mm -hmm. I think it's going to be it's the same uh, conundrum that you fall into uh, when talking about the Cowboys offense. You have a lot of great players that can be in the discussion, but whittling it down to one is what our goal is, and that's what is difficult. All right, Eric, where do you fall? Are you Team Strahan or are you Team Taylor? I am not Team Strahan. Let me tell you something. Making three sacks in one game with a torn pectoral muscle that is extremely difficult to do. LT did that against New Orleans. Not to mention a real, real deep squid bit here. Dun, dun, dun. Dramatic reverb. I'm sure of all of us, Jason would know this date the best. November 8th, 1987. Well, I was two. That's why I said Jason. <laughs> uh, let me think. Eighty-seven. I was eleven years old. Was that mm-hmm. when he was that when he snapped Thousand's leg? Nope. That was eighty-five. Almost two years to the day prior. Okay. So then, what was eighty-seven? Specifically, that night was the first ever Sunday night football game, the first ever NFL game, aired on ESPN. Foxborough Stadium, Patriots driving, a minute 26 left in the fourth quarter, trailing 17-14. Steve Grogan drops back to pass, feel the pressure, sack, and I believe a fumble on that play. The opponents recover. They win that game. Those opponents were the New York Giants. The man who got that sack, Lawrence Taylor. You just won, but three gigantic moments and causing all sorts of terror on and off the field. Sorry, no one comes to that level. I just want to do a squid pick for you. A little... Little, little inkling for you, Harry. Uh, technically, uh, in the record books, Strahan does hold the career sacks. But since sacks wasn't counted until 82, the nine and a half sacks that Taylor got his rookie year are not officially on the record books, which would put him ahead of Strahan. It's, and 
I will point out that according to Pro Football Database, and I'm going to have to link a lot of shit for this episode. <laughs> but, but according to Pro Football Database, yes, that would give that would give Lawrence Taylor 142 to the 141 and a half of Michael Strahan. I will point out for my argument though that Strahan played two years longer than Taylor did, therefore he was more durable than Lawrence Taylor was. But again, the fact that you could play that long with those sort of injuries and spending a thousand dollars on coke and hookers for not only yourself but opposing <laughs> players as well—that counts like an extra five years onto the normal person. Am I right or am I right? <laughs> Let's see what Bisco says here. Bisco, are you sending this to a vote or is this LT over Strahan? <sighs> Or are you going to? You can go in a completely different direction. I mean, yeah, that would just get you, you're you'd be fine with that just because it would give LT the win. No, I mean this is your opinion. It's oh, not. I, I mean, I'm not trying to influence you in any way. Uh huh. I am. Uh, picture ahead. <laughs> um, like I met, like I like uh, Harry said, with an honorable mention to Jason Seahorn, who I met when I was a kid, and he's a great guy. Um, and, you know, he's lost in, in the conversation a lot of times. Um, but yeah, just for, and for that iconic moment, no matter how much people complain, oh, you know, he let him have it and everything, uh, you know, Strahan getting that, that final sack on Brett Favre, uh, to get the single season record and everything, I gotta go with Strahan. Yeah, we're going to a vote. This is going to be fun. This is going to be a fun one, that's for sure. No, this is going to be a landslide again. Not to mention, Favre did not let him have it. Mr. O, you're going to have that single season sack record. Lest we forget ESPN doing a very deep dive using all of the footage from that entire season and the standard metrics that the NFL used to award sacks and how that record has a little asterisk. And if you pay attention, and they even included what Brett Favre said, mic'd up to Strahan before that came, his exact words, under no circumstances will I slide at your feet and give you the record. The rest is history from there. But out of all of those 23 and a half sacks, that was actually recognized as his one cleanest, most official one. I'm not saying, but I'm just saying. He is. He is just saying. <laughs> so we go to a vote for Philadelphia offense and the Giants defense for this week's show. The first time we've had two votes go. We do, however, see a repeat of what happened last week is yet another team goes full unanimity when Dallas joins Pittsburgh. Which is shocking considering both of those teams have a long history and a lot of great players. Yeah, but given the fact that the two teams are pretty much synonymous with each other in terms of Super Bowl history as well, Having met, I think, three times in the mm-hmm. Super Bowl, which is an NFL, which I believe is an NFL record. Mm-hmm. Yes. 
So, I mean, it, it's kind of appropriate that those two would be linked together in our discussion here by having the only two uh, franchises, the only two franchises to go full un- unanimity on both offense and defense. Mm-hmm. Well, this was quite the jam-packed episode we just put together for everybody, yeah. wasn't it? <laughs> All right, gentlemen, let's tell them where they can find us on social so we can get the hell out of here. Jason, where can people find you online? And where can people uh, vote in this week's poll? All right, all right, you can uh, actually, uh, for show purposes, I actually have a new Twitter that is uh, specific to poll-related issues and where you can uh, find these polls that we've discussed to be voted on. That is at W2M Chairman. Uh, you can go there and vote on this week's polls uh, and let everybody know that LT is the better defensive player for the Giants. Uh, like I predict, it's going to be a ratio of 80%. Uh, also, uh, if you want to follow me uh, personally, it's at TurkeyGlue822. Uh, but any show-related information, you can follow at W2M Chairman. Uh, and you can see the polls that we've discussed and that we do have running on uh, Twitter. Feel free to like, share, and uh, vote on those polls. Uh, the more votes we get you know, the better we can do and we can interact with everyone via these polls. Brandon, where can people find you online? They can find me online on Twitter at Bisco NMB Chiefs and they can find me on Facebook. Just look up my name. And Eric. At Squid Sports Head on Twitter. I will also be retweeting the polls. I'm going to be live tweeting different games and stuff as things start coming back. So definitely stay tuned for that. Soccer to the Max is back in full swing. There's a new episode up and going as we have a little bit of American flavor to that. And if you're looking for any kind of tutoring or any sort of advice, look at me up on Facebook. Eric Watkins, Guy Recliner, Holding Wine. And if you happen to slide in my DMs and willing to undergo through the proper vetting process, you will get access to my dark Twitter, my Snapchat, my Telegram, my Instagram, etc., etc. And as always, these plugs brought to you by the fine people at Rick's TNT LLC, now affiliated with Dun & Bradstreet. It's in height. <laughs> H-E-B the Eagle on Twitter, H-E-B the Eagle on Facebook, H-E-B the Eagle on Instagram. Pretty much, if you can think of a social media platform, I'm H-E-B the Eagle on it. Officially, you can look for my name on Facebook as well, Harry Broadhurst. And if you're into wrestling, you can join the Chair Shot Wrestling Forum as well in order to discuss everything going on over in the world of pro wrestling there. We also are kind of an unofficial sub-forum for the 411 Mania website because a lot of the guys that write for 411 are members of the ChairShot as well, in addition to having the own wrestling website at thechairshot.com. But speaking of which, I, I will be returning to wrestling uh, DVD reviews over on thechairshot.com soon as well because nobody wants to do a podcast with me about wrestling anymore. For those of you listening at home, I'm staring a hole at Brandon Biscabing right now. Wrestling, fantasy football, you gotta wonder what some co-hosts are good for nowadays. Hey, at least he consistently lets everyone down. <laughs> <laughs> he, if, if there's one thing he consistently is, it's inconsistent. 
<laughs> so you can make sure you check out everything wrestling related that you want to know over on thechairshot.com in addition to checking out the W2M website in order to get all of your news and information on everything in the world of sports, video games, wrestling. Not so much wrestling anymore, but well, I guess some stuff with Rattledge. But we'll get to that plug in a second here. Um, yeah, so there's the greatest of all teams, NFC East edition. Uh, gentlemen, excellent show this week. I suspected it might be, given the fact that we were covering the, one of the teams that we happen to fan. And appropriately enough, we'll be doing the same thing next week as the AFC East comes into focus, where the teams in question will be the Miami Dolphins, the New England Patriots, the New York Jets, and much the same way we did with the Giants tonight, we will close discussions for part four of greatest of all teams with my Buffalo Bills. Eric goes dead last. He does. With, the given AFC... history, I'm okay with. <laughs> uh, if history has taught us anything for this show, the, the Jaguars usually finish last. <laughs> this is the part where if he missed the ten. If only I could encourage Trevor Lawrence to come here. <laughs> See, this is traditionally the part where he'd make a 10 to 3 joke, and then I'd shut the hell up, but he apparently missed his cue there. Anyway. <laughs> no, no, that, that that's a completely okay, because I accept defeat besides. He, he, he's, uh, just, he's just too worried about how much of a destruction his field will incur on Saturday. To something like this and all of the different ominous clouds that are forming, 10 to 3 is a distant memory even more for me now. That should say something. For for Snorlax, the unprofessional Jason Teasley. For the anchorman, Eric Watkins. And yeah, we really do need a, a more befitting nickname. I know what we can call it. Brandon Maybe Bisca Bing. Because that's actually our response when we ask him if he's ready to do a show. I mean, we could call him. We could call him. We could call him. Neither here nor there. I mean, we did have one. Our special news and notes edition was brought to you by Nobisco. Hashtag Nobisco. Oh, that's it. That has to be it. Rated Nobisco Bisco Big. To be, you can tell that's it because even he's laughing at it. I'm your host. My name is Terry Broadhurst. You have been listening to the kickoff greatest of all teams, part three NFC East edition. We are a presentation of the W2M network online at W2Mnet.com. In addition, you can find us on all of your favorite podcast listening services, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spreaker, Podbean, CastBox, and many more. Hey, Brandon, guess what? Spotify is here. And Jack Kent Cook is still a dick. R.I.P. R.I.P.A. And so's Daniel Snyder, just because. And LT loves suckers. <laughs> I see no better way to close it there. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week here on the kickoff. Come net.